All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Can you see it? Did you know? The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes, scores! Yes, existence, take you to the sun. First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1-0. Here, like I don't, I will cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing Company. 
Man, we have a great episode for you folks this week. My name is David Quadrelli. Joining me is Chris Faber. And joining us on this episode, Chris, is Tony Gallagher, the one and only. It's our first Hall of Famer on this show, I believe. And Harmon Dial. So we got the past, the present, and the future. I, I would say Harmon's the present and the future. So I'm very excited for these conversations. They both turned out pretty well. Harmon, we had a little technical difficulties, but I trust your editing abilities that you uh, you overcame those problems. Yeah, sort of. Uh, we did have some some struggles with the Harmon interview. I'm over in Kelowna right now, so um, out here on vacation, enjoying some of the sun. It's like 25 degrees outside. Looks nice, but um, yeah, the Tony G's the the pièce de résistance is that how you say it uh, of this episode? Uh, so we got Tony G coming in for 37 minutes, uh, Hall of Famer, of course. Um, and then Harmon, we we just had planned to join us as well. He was supposed to be the big guest, but sorry to Harmon, kind of got bumped by uh, by Hall of Famer Tony G a little bit for the main show here. Uh, but Harmon is in here, and the interview turned out pretty good. We just talked a lot about returning to play, but um, I don't know. I'm in Kelowna as I'm recording this, and I was in Kelowna. For the interview as well, so um, yeah, it's it's okay. I think I did a decent job editing it, and it should turn out all right. But with just a warning for people: um, the Tony G interview is great, and it came together. The audio is awesome, and I know you got to, to talk to him for the first time. What did you think of Tony Gallagher for the first time, Quads? Man, I didn't realize how much he wanted to like help guys like you and I out. But like, you know, with the older school journalists, you kind of have the impression that. Okay, they're they feel kind of threatened by the new age journalists, like you know the me, Harmon, you, like people who are on these blogging sites. Like you kind of get that impression sometimes. Whether you go to the rink and meet some of these people, um, not trying to throw shade at anybody, but you know with Botch that all changed, right? Like we talk about how much opportunity he gave people, like. Uh, JD, you, me, everybody, like how much he helped us out, right? Helped out the Canucks army and how much of an advocate he was for the new age journalists. And I didn't know Tony was like that, but you know, right when we started talking to him off air, when you told him I was the first Botchford project, uh, recipient, thanks for that, by the way. Um, he he was like, yeah, it was very nice. Uh, he was, he was right away. He's like, telling us how he wants to meet me for coffee and go with you and I and meet up like he wants to help us out which you know when you have the opportunity to be mentored even a little bit by a guy like him you take it right like you and I have some great mentors like you know we've got Drancer, PJ all these guys that help us out and are willing to you know look at our work and give us pointers and help us become better at what we do well don't forget Moj Moj radio guy man (laughs) has Moj helped you Oh yeah, dude. Moj is awesome. I, the the few events that I've been to with Moj, he's like introduced me to pretty much every single person in the room. Uh, he's been awesome about it. So uh, How yeah, have I not heard this? I don't know. Maybe I got to talk more about Moj. He's awesome. I, I saw him uh, at my Botchford day too. He was there just uh, standing around Travis Green for the interviews, and I I introduced myself again because I was like, "Hey, Moj, it's uh, Faber." And he's just like, "Yeah, I know who you are." So I like pushed him after that or so. It was fun. Moj's Moj's a good dude. Uh, even though yeah, he's a little off with some things, but uh good dude overall. <laughs> I sent you the video of Moj dancing just yeah, now. Yeah, we just saw that as well. That was great. Which oh, um man. whatever just happened on that morning show, we definitely have to discuss as well. Um <laughs> I think. Are you down to talk some more Triamkin quads or are you all tapped out on that? So we talk about Triamkin with Harmon, and I'd like to leave it at that, but I will stay firm in my stance that was backed up by JD Burke, who's watched Triamkin a lot more than I have, that no, this guy is not an NHL defenseman. I will stand by that. The only thing that makes me want to change my mind on that was the fact that what Rick brought up last week, you know, like 
do, don't you think that there would be, you know, he would be able to just sign in the KHL at this point? You know, the fact that Reed Boucher signed in the KHL for next season and, and Nikita Triamkin has it, that just makes me think that, you know, maybe there is something that they're kind of working towards here. And I know his agent, we've only really heard the one side of it, but man, his his agent keeps insisting that this is going to happen. Rick, uh, you know, Rick from Newport Sports keeps in, keeps telling us that this <laughs> is going to happen. So I that's the only thing. Like, I feel like he would have been signed in the KHL, you know, especially with all the uncertainty of the AHL this year. I mean, like, it, it feels like he should be signed over there in Russia by now. That's the only thing that's making me say, like, you know, like, this actually might happen for some reason. I, I, I don't think it's a great idea to be anywhere near $2 million. But, you know, the fact yeah. that he's not signed and the fact that this conversation is still going on, it made... You know, it's almost convincing my brain that this is going to happen next year uh, with Triamkin coming in for like one point seven five to two point two five somewhere in there. Ugh, for for less than two million, and even that's a bit much to me. For less than two million, and him willing to go down to the AHL, I'm totally on board with it. Like, let this guy work it out in the AHL. Let him win over Canucks fans. Let him win over his coaching staff. But coming in and just pencil him in on the third pair that makes the Canucks significantly worse Chris like they're not going to be a better team next it's going to be hard to improve the team regardless of throwing two million dollars at Nikita Triamkin but if your answer is to throw two million or even less at Nikita Triamkin and pencil him into your bottom pairing that makes the Canucks significantly worse like this this team needs to get better this offseason and we talked to Harmon about it it's easier said than done. It's not going to be easy when they're cap strapped and the cap's not moving and there's no compliance buyouts. That's another thing we got to talk about. There's no freaking compliance buyouts. It doesn't help the owners. It doesn't help the players. So it makes sense that the that this wasn't included in the new negotiations that are going on. So it sucks for the Canucks because, man, having a free buyout on Louis Erickson would have been awesome to free up some cap space. But when you're a cap strapped team like the Canucks and you're working on contending, your best players are on their ELCs, you have to put every dollar that you have, every penny that you have toward improving the team. And the blue line is, you know, you and I talk about it a lot. The blue line is this team's biggest glaring weakness. And if your answer is Nikita Triamkin, all you're doing is making the Canucks worse. If this is three years ago and the Canucks are still kind of rebuilding, sure, I'm all in on Triamkin. Put him on the first bearing. Who cares? Tank. Team tank, right? But now... That the focus needs to change. The focus needs to change to being better. And Harmon identified some targets who could be signed, traded for, and have a similar cap impact as Triamkin. I know it makes sense because Triamkin's already property of the Canucks, but I'm telling you, man, I this is this makes the team significantly worse. And you look at what people are proposing. Walk away from Chris Tanev, replace him with Triamkin. I'm on board with walking away from Chris Tanev. His best years are behind him, and he's Gonna, he's going to command a pretty good dollar amount from the Canucks, I'm thinking. So I'm all on board with walking away from him. But if your answer is walking away from Triam- or sorry, from Tanev and signing Triamkin in his place and put him on the third pairing and bumping Troy Stetcher up to the second pairing, I'm sorry, I, I cannot get on board with that. Yeah, it's it's pretty evident that the Canucks are going to lose Tanev, I think, at this point. Like, you know, especially if they are going to be able to, you know, if they're going to at least try to sign Toffoli and Jacob Markstrom, there's no chance they get Tanev in there as well. But, you know, that brings up the situation of, like, who who is a guy, and I know that uh, Harm identified a couple of them in the conversation, so we'll save that for the interview of the names. But, you know, the guy who's going to play with your best defenseman has been a role in the NHL that's, like, Kind of evolved quite a bit over the past little bit. I remember Mark Mathot was a guy who played with Eric Carlson for so long, right? You know, and that got Mark Mathot a big contract when he went off and signed with Dallas out of Ottawa. And there's players that just, 
you know, like we need a defenseman to play with Quinn Hughes, right? Chris Tanev did a decent job of that. He was absolutely horrible when he was away from Quinn Hughes this year. Just some of the worst uh, pairings this year. He killed a lot of penalties with Alex Edler, uh, a ton of penalties. But that role is going to be something that I think we're going to be talking about a lot more over the next couple of years is, you know, the guy who can just help your best superstar defenseman play his game, right? That's all the Canucks really need. They need a right shot guy who can move the puck decently, who can be physical. You know, you talked about Luke Shen over the past little bit, right? I mean, like, that's all you really need, but kind of just like an upgraded version of Luke Shen. And there's a lot of those type of players out there. And that's the other thing is like, okay, Triamkin might be a bottom six guy, but that guy that you're going to bring in to play with Quinn Hughes automatically becomes a top four guy, even though, you know, on a normal team and a normal setup, he probably isn't a top four guy. He's probably a guy who's going to be in your bottom pairing, but just the way that he plays, he's going to be able to play with Quinn Hughes and be a top four player. So that role is going to be very interesting. I'm, I'm actually just, you know, I can't wait to see how the Canucks decide to kind of fill that role next year. Someone I identified as a relatively cheap option and could play on a bottom pairing, second pairing, you know, maybe not with Quinn Hughes quite yet because he hasn't been tested in that role quite yet is Radko Gudis from Washington. I was looking at his underlying profile, watching some tape on him, and he didn't play a ton of minutes with Washington. Like this year, he played in basically like a 4-5-6 role. He wasn't really tested with those big minutes, which assuming if he signs with the Canucks, he'd be playing those big minutes. He's coming off a pretty underwhelming season, so maybe the Canucks can grab him, again, around the 2-3 million range. That's a guy I'd rather see them throw 2 million at than Triampkin, personally. Uh, that's just me. Re- Gudis plays with that edge. I'd like to see them try that, maybe. And again, a guy we talk about a lot here is Brogan Rafferty. Um, I think he's going to be a player. I don't think he's going to be a top four option next season. He might push for it, but I think you 100% take Brogan Rafferty on a bottom pairing. Again, that means you have to put someone better on that second pairing. Because, again, we talk about it. Like, Rafferty is able to play the left side. He played the left side all throughout college. So... He's a decent option. I think he's an upgrade on Jordy Ben. Again, he's right-handed, but he can play both sides. I think that versatility really matters when you're talking about a seventh defenseman and kind of like a bottom-pairing guy. So, man, I don't know. I, I'm i still not on board with Triampkin getting penciled into the bottom-pairing. Like, I, I really just haven't seen enough. Yeah, if you're penciling in Triampkin over Brogan Rafferty, I don't want to talk to you ever again. Uh, yeah, Brogan exactly. Rafferty, Brogan Rafferty had an incredible rookie season in the AHL. And people say that like, oh, you look at the other defense in the AHL, like Derek Pouliot was one of the top scorers. Um, you know, like, yeah, he was, but it also wasn't his rookie year coming out of college hockey. Like that is so impressive to do for Brogan Rafferty that you look at him and you look at the other defensemen around him, like, you know, he isn't going to be Derek Pouliot. He's already doing this in his rookie season in the AHL, jumping into professional hockey in the toughest league he's ever had to play in. So he's only going to kind of improve for this. I think that when he jumps into the NHL next year, people are going to say, wow, you know, this guy can play. Um, he does have upside to be a power play two guy. Like I said, I've been saying this for a while. Like the ultimate ceiling for Brogan Rafferty is what Tyler Myers just did this past season, I think. And I think. You know, I don't know if he's going to get there to that level, but I think to have that potential is something you got to explore because having a right shot guy, you know, on your third pairing that could do what Tyler Myers did this past year is something that I would be, you know, fine with, especially if you're not paying him Tyler Myers money. Instead, you're paying a Brogan Rafferty money. So um, the defense is definitely going to be a shakeup. It's going to be really hard to to improve this decor next year with the cap crunch and losing Chris Tanev and you know potentially seeing what Troy Stetcher is going to come in at. Like it's it's nearly impossible in my eyes to make this defense core better 
Um, and that's that's a scary thought because this team needs to this team needs a defense that could just move the puck up ice. And I think with the contracts that are signed, it's not happening next year. They don't have anybody coming in to break in the door. Like Yolevi's not going to be that guy. Brogan Rafferty's probably not going to be that guy. Like he's not going to come in and shock everyone to be in the top four. Um, I think he could be effective in the third pairing, but I think we're two years away. You know, next season we're getting a defense core that's going to be very similar, possibly worse. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in two years because that's when I think uh, some of these prospects will come in and be able to make a decent impact, and then we'll see the defense change a little bit. But they're going to have to bank on what they got right now uh, for next season, and you're seeing that with, with the contracts to guys like Alex Edler and Jordy Ben. I mean, they're two-year deals. We're, we're going to see it for this year. We're going to see it for next year. And I think after that, um, that's when you're going to see this Canucks defense change quite a bit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Did you hear me kill a spider, by the way, while you were talking there? I don't know if no. you heard. Yeah, so... I, sorry, off note here. Um, there was a spider crawling on my window, like one of those little pincher ones, you know. And you were talking, and I was watching. Hold on, it little crawl. pincher spider. What's this? No, like it has the pinchers at the end. You know what I mean? It's like head. You know, it's the ones that bite you. They're small, but they like bite you. You know. Okay. So I see one of those crawling on my window, and I'm like, "Is that outside or inside?" And it is inside. So I was like, "Okay, I got to do something here." So you were ranting. I was like, okay, there's no way Chris is going to stop in the middle because I was across the room, right? So I stand up. I go get a shoe, and I tried to do it quietly, but I, like, smacked my shoe against the window. You know, you got to be quick, right? If you're slow, it's going to see it coming. It's going to take off. So I had to be, like, kind of quick. So I don't know if you heard it. If you listen back to that, you'll probably hear a little, like, as you're talking and then cleaned it up, and I did it just in the nick of time because, yeah, you, you talked for a while there. And, I mean, I think we've talked about Nikita Triumphant a little too much. So, I mean, one thing that I wish we asked Harmon, and I don't think this was really a Tony G question, but one thing we probably should have asked Harmon is this whole team tank versus team whatever the other side is. Some people are calling it playoffs. It makes sense, but I don't know, man. I'm on team whatever happens, happens. And, I mean, I can see the value in – in the team tank, whatever, I can understand, oh, we want that 12.5% chance, but here's what I'm really thinking of. If I'm thinking down the line, I think there's a very good chance. We just talked about how it's going to be hard to improve this team next year thanks to the cap crunch. There's a very good chance that the Canucks are a lottery team next year. So let's say they get eliminated by the Wild, they enter this lottery draft, and they don't win the lottery draft because we're all Canucks. And that's what you're looking at is a 15, like 13, 15 pick, overall pick this year which you'll take, but then you also lose next year's pick. So you're getting a mid-round pick. I don't know. I I see the value in like losing. I mean, it's it to me, it's a rare win-win situation for an organization that just hasn't had many, especially in recent years. Really, I can't, you know, if I was still a fan and I still like actively cheered and cared about what the Canucks do rather than just objectively report on it, which is something Tony talked to us quite a bit about. I I would I I don't think I'd be cheering against them if I'm being honest with you. No, it's yeah. This, the the thing is like okay, if you're cheering against them and you're cheering for them to lose, you have to one hundred thousand percent believe that they're gonna win with that twelve point five percent. Because if they don't, that's a really bad look for this Canucks team. Like yeah. I said, the defense does not get better next year. Um, you know, Quinn Hughes will get better, that's for sure. Elias Pettersson will get better, that's for sure. But what if one of them gets injured? You know, what if one of those guys gets injured? Look at how healthy the Canucks were this year. The fact that one guy on the right side of their defense missed a game. You know, was it Tyler Myers? I think he just missed one, or yeah, just Tyler Myers missed one game this year. That's the only one who misses a game. That's not going to happen at all. I mean, they're going to have injuries next year. 
They could be a team that's down there. And if they're giving up a, a lottery pick in next year's draft, I think the best thing right now, and, and people are saying it's a win-win situation, it's it's a win and then it's a consolation win, right? I mean, like, yeah. that that's it. If they go off and they get that 12%, great. But if they don't and they have to pick you know, 14th or 13th in this upcoming draft, that's kind of the worst case scenario for me because, yeah. you know, there's there are some deep players in this draft. Say they pick 10th, you know, there's there's going to be a good player there. But he's not going to come in and immediately impact this Canucks team. He's going to take two to three years probably before he gets here, depending on the player, right? We're going to see where they go. Yeah. But, you know, I think that Jim Benning would be in the camp of, I need to get a player who's going to impact this team as soon as possible. For for one, because he just missed the playoffs if he's drafting this year at this draft, and he needs that player. He might pick a player that could you know make an impact right now at fifteen. You know, like that's the type of player he might go out and look at like the Jake Vertanen model, the way that he looked at that and drafted that player, which scares me because you know Jim Benning's going to be fighting for his job again if he misses the playoffs this year. You know, oh, yes. like he is for sure. And Travis Green's contract's up. I I don't think Green has as much to worry about as Benning because I think Green's done actually a pretty good job this year, but. That's the worst case. Like, they need... I I would be so happy with them just, you know, getting rid of that pick. You know, and just, like, knowing what the final result of that trade is with that first-round pick. Because you can't let that hang over your head all year. My, my official take on this is that a 12.5% chance at the first overall pick is a wonderful consolation prize. But it's not a goal. You don't play for a 12.5% lottery chance. You know what I mean? Like... I I don't know, man. I'm, you know, we're both very excited to watch this team play again. You know, we've been missing hockey for four months now. And seeing them play against the Wild, I wrote about it today. My thing for Canucks Army was, Elias Pettersson's going to be really good in this series, I think. I think having this time off, every time this kid has had time off in the past, he has been a raging bull. And that's what I called the article, a raging bull. Why Elias Pettersson will benefit more from the time off. I asked him on the Zoom call yesterday. Uh, if he also feels stronger, because Quinn Hughes said he feels stronger, he feels like he's going to be better in yeah. this play-in series than he would had he had to play uh, in a playoff series right from the regular season. So I asked Patterson the same thing. You know, we hear some of these older guys talk about, oh, it's going to be hard to get my feet back under me because blah, 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 whatever. But Patterson, no, I feel stronger. I got to work out because he didn't have ice available in Sweden, contrary to popular belief. I got to work out, and I got to become much stronger. So when this kid gets back on the ice, we've already seen the silent, for some reason, bar down slow motion video. Oh, man, that was like, that was so nice to see. And getting this kid back on the ice and getting him back into games, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in this series. And I honestly, like, I've said it before, John Garrett called a sweep on this very podcast. He thinks the Canucks are going to sweep the Wild. I'm not quite that confident in the Canucks' abilities. I say it goes to five games, but again, like I don't see the Canucks losing this series personally. Yeah, I don't think they lose. I think they win in four. I think that a lot of people are looking at them and saying that the teams match up um, pretty similarly. I don't think so. I think that the way that this young core is going to be in the playoffs is going to be a lot different than what you're going to see out of this Minnesota team. Um, I think Vancouver wins in four. I am not going to be shocked if they win in three as well. Um, I think Markstrom's going to be the superior goalie, and I think that mm-hmm. these young guns are going to be well-rested. Quinn Hughes is going to be improved. Uh, I'm excited to see what that looks like because he looked pretty damn good all year long for me. Um, but aside from that, how was the uh, how was the Elias Pettersson Zoom call that you had the other day? Good. I'm uh, I'm getting much more comfortable talking to the players and whatnot. Um, 
you know, it's good because I was, you know, in the first couple, I was still like pretty nervous reading off of a uh, reading off my phone because, you know, they could see me, but whatever. It didn't matter to me. Um, reading off my phone and j was telling me and, you know, all the other guys we talked to were telling me they're like, no, you can't be doing that. Like, this is good practice for you. Just, you know, try and do it without paper. Try and do it off the cuff. And even in the interviews that we do with like Tony and Harmon, like usually, you know how I interview, like I I have my questions prepared, written out, and sometimes they even read off the paper, which is something I've definitely had to get away from. Yeah, you Um, do that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? It's coming up here though. You did it. You did it. Like people are just about to hear. I'm sure we're about to get to it soon, but you did a way better job uh, with Tony G, I thought. Wow, thanks. Means a lot. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a writer. You know, it's it's what I, it's what I do. You got me into podcasting, and now I'm this radio guy now. But uh, writing is still what I'm. You know, that's my that's my strength, right? So I have to write out my questions because I'm a better writer than I am a talker. You're much better asking off the cuff than I am. But I think I did a pretty good job. Harmon, I had no notes, but that's also because like Harmon and I are buds, and I was able to just kind of feed off him it didn't really matter to me if i screwed up with Harmon, um (laughs) and sure enough i didn't so i mean yeah the zoom call went well but before before we get to the tony gallagher interview i mean we brought up the play-in series with tony and he brought up a really good point that if you're minnesota your game plan has to be to just beat the crap out of quinn hughes and elias Pettersson, right like finish every check on these guys make it hard for them to want to attack the zone just try and take it away from them. And Tony brought up a great point that that's exactly what Minnesota is going to be focusing on. But we've seen what happens when Elias Patterson gets pissed off, right? Like yeah. it's usually doesn't end well for the other team. And I mean, that's why I went with the raging bull headline in my, mm-hmm. uh, in my article that I, but did you know what Tony Army. said too, uh, which was really interesting. Like Tony was talking about that and he brought up that, you know, when you're playing in front of fans and you lay a hit on one of the other team's yes, star players, yes. The fans react, and then you're like, oh, hell yeah, I just got the fans going. I'm going to keep doing that. But what he was saying is, like, the coach is going to have to consistently be reminding the players, like, hit Hughes, hit Pedersen, hit Hughes, hit Pedersen. Go out there, hit these guys every single time you're out there. You know, because that is the the way to, you know, try and limit these guys the best way is to, you know, get them on them physically. That's their weakest point of their game. But that's the thing. It's like... He, I think Tony says it great in the interview. He's just like, the coaches can only say that so much, right? He's going to get to a certain point where he just forgets or stops saying it to these players. And, you know, maybe that's when, when Hughes and Pedersen start to play their game. So the, the whole no fans in the crowd is, is going to be very interesting. And I wonder how that kind of plays in everything in the playoffs. It's not like anybody really knows how it's going to go, but I, I, I thought that was really interesting. And Tony's definitely been thinking about it. It was cool to talk to him about, uh, you know, the current team, you know, like it was, it was pretty awesome to get into that. Like, you know, obviously hearing about his career is a Incredible, but the fact that you know we're getting into the industry and the, and we get the chance to talk to him on an interview, you know, like we were basically on ten forty doing an interview with Tony G. It was it was a lot of fun, you know, talking about the current Canucks team. And by the way, they had Tony G on uh, Donnie and the Mode this week for seventeen minutes. We had him for thirty seven, so that's more than double the time. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Canucks conversation. Thank you very much. We'll cut to a quick break here, and then we will get to that interview with Tony Gallagher, followed right after by our interview with Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Keep it locked and loaded. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation. 
Alright guys, before we continue on any further into the episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation Podcast. That's right, you know who it is. Parallel 49 Beer, and you can check them out in their street kitchen at 1950 Triumph Street. They got some great new summer beers coming in right about now, but they have the classics as well. I recommend the Jerkface 9000, but one of the new summer ones that they're working on, the Smoothie Sour Tropical, uh, that one just dropped now. So go out and check them out, 1950 Triumph Street, or look them up on all the social media platforms at Parallel 49 Beer. That's Parallel 49 Beer on all social media. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50 before taxes. And Canucks Conversation podcast listeners can save $5 off their order with promo code CanucksConvo. That's all one word, promo code CanucksConvo. You can shop online or at their retail store located in Surrey. Once again, that was Zephyr Epic. You can follow them on social media to be part of monthly contests and ticket giveaways. Search Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. Support for Canucks Conversation is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The water-resistant technology on the Lawnmower 3.0, which just launched in Canada, by the way, allows you to groom in the shower. It's perfect. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last you up to 90 minutes and has a USB-mounted charger, so you can show off your perfect tool for your family jewels. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CanucksConvo at manscaped.com. Your balls will. Thank you. All right, guys, joining us now for this first conversation on the episode, the voice of the Vancouver hockey market for over 40 years, recently got the recipient of the Elmer Ferguson Award. Welcome to the Hockey Hall of Fame, Tony Gallagher. How you doing, Tony? Well, I'm very well. I, uh, I don't know about the intro. I think Tom Larshide and Jim Robson may <laughs> give you a little shot about that one, but it's kind of you to say that. I, I think in, uh, in many ways, uh, you know, voice does come through once you get a radio presence in that and uh certainly i i did write for that many of years i'm guilty as charged there so um but you're right uh it's i've been around for a long long time and did hockey really probably i guess for 38 years you know and mm-hmm. uh and minor hockey before that when i did the bruins and the blazers the whl and wha and uh I was all good experience getting me ready for the NHL and I but I actually did my first NHL game in nineteen seventy two, if you can believe it. Yeah. Tom Water, <laughs> hockey writer, got sick and and uh, sports editor sent me down to Oakland, California, uh, to do a game between the California Golden Seals and the Vancouver Canucks and uh always remember that thrill of doing an NHL game and uh, you know, I was here. I was you guys' age, maybe even younger, and already making NHL contacts. You know, talking to Hal Laco, talking to Charlie Hodge and George Gardner, and those guys. Uh, Charlie Hodge, a legend in his own right. So, you know, the business is so much different than it is now, and uh, I, I really don't envy you guys trying to get into it now. <laughs> It's so much more difficult, and uh, it's uh, fraught with so much more peril. But, um, you know, I'm glad to see you guys keep pushing, and um, we'll see where it goes. 
Well, Chris and I have two NHL games between us, so you've got us there, Tony. But what do you remember from that first night? What was it like walking into an NHL arena for the first time at that age? Well, I had been there before as a fan, of course, and into a Van, you know, a Vancouver Canucks game, um, and you know, as a spectator and as a helper to Loringer and uh, Tom Watt and um, you know Eric Whitehead, those guys that were on our staff at the time and were the were the stars, and I was their helper in many cases. Uh, it, it was done on typewriter in those days, and they needed often somebody at the end of the game to dictate their stories while they finished because it was done over the phone dictation to another guy in the office who took the copy and then they quickly got it into the paper. I mean, you you guys, I think, would be amazed at the way the old (laughs) newspaper business actually physically worked. So I'd been to lots of games before, but going into uh, to the uh, Oakland Alameda um, Coliseum. I don't think it was that. I, I don't know whether it was called that or not. Now I can't even remember what they called the rink, but uh, it was uh, you know pretty much a standard rink, very much like the Northlands Coliseum and the Pacific Coliseum at the time, and a little bit smaller maybe. Yeah. And it was interesting, uh, but I knew I I had a, I was under a lot of pressure because the game was going to end late, and I had to do it by myself. So they kept my space short, and um, I I rode it. Fortunately, it wasn't, uh, you know, they didn't have overtime in those days, but it, it wasn't a close game. I can't even remember who won it. it none of the, those games kind of mattered as it was. Yeah. But I, I was more interested in the physical aspects of getting my story in and making sure it was accurate. That's all that mattered to me because... You know, you never cared who won, and you still don't, and you still shouldn't care who wins. You're not a fan. Mm-hmm. You're there to basically almost be like a referee, although you're not doing that role. You, you're you a neutral observer, and you try to file uh, based on what you think happened or what you thought happened. And in those days, nobody saw the game on TV so they needed, you know, who had the goals, what the goals looked like, and it was definitely old-fashioned, old-time sports writing. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how much has changed, I guess, over the past little bit. And you know, well, uh, everyone's seen the game now. I mean, that yeah. that's changed completely. So you do something completely different. In those days, they hadn't a clue. They hadn't heard the radio broadcast. And who had time to sit and listen for two and a half hours to a radio broadcast? Although I'm sure many people did in their cars or in their homes and so on. But uh, you know, if you were if you were doing anything, and it was a Friday night, as I recall, so a lot of people were doing other things. So you, you always had to have the the nuts and bolts in the paper. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I, I heard you recently. Uh, you were on just on with Donnie and the Moj, and you mentioned that. Um, you were a little bit surprised because Brooksy went in and you said you might think they might have hit their quota for shit disturbers, Tony, was the word that you used. Uh, not on yeah, air. You, you well, I, yeah, I used bleep disturbers on air, but uh, <laughs> might well use other things on this. But you're right. I thought that, you know, and I thought Brooksy was a great choice. Uh, uh, I had to applaud that. Heavens, I'm not going to stand. There's no way I could stand in his way. I mean, he was at the New York Post. and right. He's been doing it for a lot of years, and he's still giving Batman and those guys in the New York <laughs> office trouble, and he drives them crazy by virtue of the fact he's in their town. So 
I mean, Brooksy and I are good friends and yeah. known each other for 30, 35 years. And, uh, yeah, it was a great choice. And, and I was glad they did it. But I really thought that that sealed the tomb on me because <laughs> I didn't think they'd put two similar guys. I mean, you know, Strack and Brooks and I were very similar. Mm. And, uh, you know, that it was a long time between Strachan and Brooks. And uh, <laughs> I expected it to be a similarly long time <laughs> until the next one. Now, Tony, you were talking about how you have to watch hockey as an unbiased observer. But now, well, when you're working, yeah, I watch kind of now as more of a Canuck fan. That's but. exactly my next question. What's hockey like for you now? Are you able to enjoy it like a regular fan would, or do you still have uh, that? Yeah, I think a little more than I ever could. I still don't. Um, I still don't get right into the fan thing. I don't get <laughs> it at all, to be honest with you. I mean, I it's just so foreign from my experience. Like I couldn't paint my face or anything <laughs> like that, but. But, I mean, I definitely, uh, you know, kind of pull for the Canucks. I definitely like to see them win a cup before I leave this earth. And they're, they're running out of time, i got to tell you. So uh, they better get to it if that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, uh, but, uh, you know, I yeah, I am able to relax a little more. I'm a big fan of Elias Pettersson and, you know, Brock Besser and a lot of the, a lot of the players I really have an appreciation for. I'm a huge Bull Horvat fan because mm-hmm. he's just such a presence and such a mm-hmm. such a, a guy that you'd be so proud to have him as your son, you know. And when the Canucks were dallying around before appointing him captain, it was just it was just stupidity. I mean, everybody in that room knew who the captain was. Yeah, he's so. Uh, he's so much more mature and and present and almost as responsible in most of those guys that it's just so obvious. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of guys. I mean, uh, Pedersen would would have been a candidate and Brock would have been a candidate, I don't think, and probably Quinn Hughes could have been as well. But uh, um, I I think it's clearly Bo now. And for all the time they wasted, uh, I I don't see uh, what the point of that was at all. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Tony, if they win the Stanley Cup, maybe you should paint your face. I think fans would love that. Canucks fans would love to see that one. Well, uh, they better not be holding their breath. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. But it's it's been, um, you know, we've seen, I guess, so much that you've got to deal with throughout your years. It's before Dave's and my time. I mean, Dave was born in the year 2000. He was, you know, we've we're, he's a lot younger than I am, but I, you know. Wow, is he ever. He's uh Twenty years old—that's uh, that's not allowed, is it? No, I know he's managing editor. He's my boss, so I don't know about that. But uh, but I'm curious. Like you, you worked in this industry for so long. You dealt with. You probably had a lot of battles throughout your career. What was one of the most intimidating people you had to deal with? Do you think over your career? Oh, uh, I don't know. I uh, most intimidating. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think Bill LaForge would be the guy in that category, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um, I didn't have much exposure to him because he wasn't around long, but he was a guy that Harry Neal hired. I'm sure you guys are probably up on your Canuck history, but uh, (laughs) Harry Neal hired him uh, largely from uh, a junior background, and uh, he had had success in junior, I think, basically because he had scared his players to death. 
<laughs> and they just went out and performed. Uh, he was a genuinely intimidating character. He was a fellow who was in the construction in- industry, and upon being struck in the worksite by a giant concrete slab one day, decided in a great epiphany to go ahead and become a hockey coach. And he worked his way up the ladder and uh, was evidently very successful, worked in the OHL, and Harry Neal got the idea to hire him, uh, and he lasted 20 games as the Canucks coach, as I recall. And I, you know, I remember it was part of my job, obviously, to go in and interview him a few times. And we'd go into his office, and things were done a lot differently. I used to go in the coach's office all the time and have, you know, chats with them, just private chats, none of the scrum stuff. And, um, you know, sometimes you go in with two or three guys, you go in with the sun guy and maybe the radio guy or, you know, various ways. But, there were many times, there were a couple of times I was in there by myself. I was maybe the only guy that wanted to talk to Bill that day or something, you know. And yeah. I got to tell you, I was sitting across the desk from this guy. His eyes were a little <laughs> strange, and he was a big guy, and uh, was very rough around the edges, very coarse. And I honestly thought there was something not quite right with the guy. And, you know, he would try to intimidate you, and it was... Uh, it was a handful, I got to tell you. He was one of a few guys that really uh, uh, a little uh, intimidated me. And there was another player who intimidated me. And when he finds out that he in- intimidated me now a little bit, he's quite taken back. But uh, that was Dennis Ververgaard. But um, so I like to steer clear of Vervy. But uh, there there aren't too many intimidating characters in the modern game. That's <laughs> for sure. Uh, most of them are very much more, um, uh, you know, I don't know what, I wouldn't want to say educated, but, uh, you know, much more refined and, and, and more prepared for life in a professional environment. Uh, yeah. Just that sort of thing just doesn't happen as much as it used to. And uh, it's, it's very much different. I, I doubt that you'll ever run into such characters. And Dennis Ververgaard never did anything to me or tried to intimidate me. It's just that uh, he, I mean, he's still around in that, and he might hear this, in fact, but um, Dennis has just had a reputation for being tough and uh, getting into tiffs off the ice. And and so you didn't want to upset him or anything because you were never sure based on this reputation. And it may well have been an ill-gotten reputation, so... Me being a little bit intimidated by him is, has nothing to do with him or his behavior, uh, other than the legend of Dennis Bervergard. But um, those are the two guys that spring to mind when you ask that question. Huh. Well, I t- like, Tony, you went through... You weren't expecting that answer, were you? No, no, I, I wasn't at all, but we're going to have to do some research after this, I guess. Um <laughs> I, I was kind of wondering about... I've had a varied experience, guys. A <laughs> oh, varied experience. It's, that's... Been, uh, it's been a ride and a half, and my wife is right here with me, and yeah. she kind of laughs. At, <laughs> we have met some characters over the years. <laughs> Most definitely have. What about any other sports that you covered? She said, like never you... <laughs> a dull moment, and I couldn't agree. It's been uh, fabulous. Yeah. You, you covered hockey, obviously, but did you have a passion for the other sports that you covered, Tony? Was there one other that you loved always? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Tennis, most especially. Huh. 
uh, definitely tennis. I started out, I mean, one of the, the real annoyances of going on to hockey was that I could no longer do much local tennis. Huh. I used to love covering the Stanley Park Tennis Tournament. And we're really getting back into Vancouver history now. But uh, in 70, 71, 72, when I first started in the business and was, was doing other things, the Stanley Park Tennis Tournament was huge. Huh. It had players from all over the Pacific Northwest, and tennis was much, much more a regional event. And then, I think it was in 72 that Rothman's, the tobacco company, if you can believe it, <laughs> yeah. were the sponsors of the World Championship Tennis here in Vancouver. And the matches were played at the Agridome, and all the legendary names of tennis came to Vancouver. I got to cover it. I was in heaven. I mean, Pancho Gonzalez was here, uh, Rod Laver, Roy Emerson, Fred Stolle, uh, Arthur Ashe, um, just uh, Torben Ulrich. Oh, you wouldn't know Torben Ulrich's name. Um, uh, you know, uh, Ken Rosewall. They were all here. They all played. It was a professional tennis circuit. And I'm telling you, you talk about the nicest pro athletes you're ever going to meet. Yeah. The Aussie tennis players, especially the legends, nothing like it. They'd invite us for a beer afterwards in the dressing room, uh, laughing all the time. They just had a great time. It was, uh, they'd try and tear each other's gullets out on the court. <laughs> But once it was over, they were all great friends. And uh, one of the nicest experiences I ever had covering pro sport was wow. that event at the Agrodome. Um, you know, Arthur Ashe was just a delightful human being, just a phenomenal gentleman, uh, really a remarkable fellow. Mm -hmm. uh, just and, and he fit right into these gentlemen. And uh, I can know you guys don't want to talk about tennis, but <laughs> that was a, a fabulous experience. Uh, uh, Roy Emerson, uh, I would say, probably the funniest pro athlete I ever met. Huh. Uh, Tony, you know, this market lost a driving force in really good content a little over a year ago with Jason Botcher's uh. passing. Ugh. Sorry to bring that up, but yeah, it's uh, that's tough. Uh, dear friend of yours, there's one guy I uh, really wish had been here for me winning the award because yeah. mm -hmm. you know I need to tell you that in the last ten years he really helped me way way more than I helped him. I'll never forget the day he got me on the Twitter. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was taking me through all the steps of how to work Twitter and everything and. <laughs> Because we, I never really wanted to go on Twitter. I was uh, ordered to go on and uh, by the company who wanted me to promote my columns on Twitter, and so that people would go from Twitter and and uh, go to the website. And I could understand the wisdom of that, and so I could see that. So Jason helped get me on, and uh, I'll never forget the time he tweeted out my. Uh, my call signs, I guess, or whatever they're called, or my... Your Twitter whatever, However, to reach my Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I sat there and watched visibly as the number of followers <laughs> I had grew after he tweeted it out. It was really amazing. And uh, it showed you the power he already had in, in the market. And, I mean, this guy was a force, and I, I loved helping him early on 
but I, I think he helped me way more than I helped him. And, uh, it's, uh, it's quite a story. He, uh, he's a guy that, that has to win this award at, at some point yeah. as well. Uh, he kind of changed the face of sports writing in this town. And I, I had so many great experiences just going around town after I retired, watching the impact he'd have. You know, I'd, I'd see kids of all races and all, you know, like it shows you what a community we have here in Vancouver. Like everybody would be sitting there on the, on the bus. When I'd go on the bus, I'd see people reading Jay's, uh, Jay's stuff on their on their iPhones while they're on the bus. I mean, I, I often ta- thought that they saved, um, you know, watching his uh, his pieces and you know his work on online just to to get through the bus ride. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. it was amazing the impact he had on the market. He had a huge following. I don't know where he would have taken uh, that bit of the athletic in this town, but it would have been a long long ways and he would he probably had many many more uh, frontiers to cover as well and uh, so tough to lose him but i'm sure he's in a better place and uh, i'm sure he'll uh, one day be joined with his family as well absolutely and tony you helped me a ton uh, on the article that i got to write for my botchford project and uh, i can never do enough for young guys you never can do enough you know? yeah it's, and that was so a tough example of that that's you did some work for him and you mentioned that he helped you a lot at the end but what were some of the things that you had to help him with in vancouver oh just in contacts what people are like uh, you know phone numbers in many cases you know i i had the big rolodex because you know the province had put me in so many situations I'd traveled everywhere I'd been in every building many times over in the league and knew just about everyone in the league so I had a ton of contacts and I was able to help him with that stuff so there was never anyone he couldn't reach Mm -hmm. um you know I you know I was giving him uh I gave him Kenny Holland's number very very recently you know when he uh, Kenny was still in Detroit and uh you know that that sort of thing happened a, a, a little bit you know a lot early on and a little bit it tapered off towards the end but uh, it did go on and uh, you know I just characterized people for him in because we thought largely alike um, I didn't have the technical capabilities he did and he really understood the modern media much more greatly than <laughs> me so I didn't have the uh, that knowledge, but I kind of could size up people, and because we thought similarly, um, that um, we would see people largely the same way. Um, we had largely the same friends and largely the same kind of um, counterparts, uh, or you know, not not foes or anything like that, but guys we would compete against, and saw them largely the same way, and uh, although not exclusively, and. Uh, so we, I was able to ha- characterize certain people and help them going into, into an interview, but he didn't need much help. He would have found that out for, for himself anyway. He yeah. was, uh, he, he was a great, great character and, and just a superstar in our business. 
Mm-hmm. Tony, one of the things that you kept bringing up when we had that conversation for the article, and I couldn't include it in the article because it didn't really fit anywhere, but the thing that you mentioned that he asked you a lot about was the things that he wanted to get help with with becoming a father, and that was something that we never really heard about. Oh, yeah, you we mentioned talked, that. talked about personally. I thought you meant professionally there. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, for sure. we, we talked about that. You know, we would talk about the kids and uh, a little bit about, you know, uh, but he had a great grip on that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I wouldn't presume to uh, mention anything I mentioned to him. But, I mean, I uh, my kids have been very successful. So, uh, but that was mostly because of Susan, you know. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, she was the one that was around with the kids. I was off and off during the season uh, on two-week trips. I, I really laugh at the way some of the wives complain now. I mean, what she went through, she would do it. She had no car at one time, had, or couldn't drive. I mean, I think we did have a car, but um, she, was, she didn't have her license. And she had two young children in, in our place. And uh, I'd go away for two weeks, you know. And she hardly, she never uttered a complaint. She would, uh, she would just get on with it. That's the way it was done in those days. And finally she just got fed up and said, I'm learning to drive. And <laughs> did that virtually overnight. And much of that problem was solved and but I still went away on long long trips so she carried the bulwark of that but I mean I was informed of the decisions <laughs> in many cases and uh, I helped a great deal when I was around in the summer I used to get the whole summer off guys yeah I mean well I built I built up in according to our our union contract I'd I'd when I'd go away on road trips I'd get uh, build up time off and I never used it during the season because I was doing the beat largely by myself. Jack Keating would occasionally go to one gamers and things like that, but I did most of the schedule myself. Mm-hmm. So I built up all this time and I would just take it in the summer and we would have the whole summer together. So we had a great time that way. And so it's not as if I was a stranger to my kids. I wasn't, <laughs> but, uh, she was, you know, left in the trenches by herself. And of course, when the kids get, uh, you know, when the kids are around just the one parent, that's when they're going to uh, have the most fun and take the most advantage, put the most pressure on the one. So yeah. it's tough doing it by yourself. Heavens, any t- any single mother or single father will tell you how tough that is. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's... How long have you and Susan been together, Tony? Susan and I? Yeah. Uh, well, uh... 45 years now we've been wow. we've been married 45 years we've been together 46 and a half or something wow that's incredible to hear you don't hear that often <laughs> well yeah incredible in this business with all the pressures <laughs> yeah. and all the phone calls and that i mean i've told a few stories about how susan once told jake milford to stop calling the house so damned <laughs> early he doesn't work for you he works for the paper if you want to talk to him talk to him later because jake would always call and he'd be upset about um a certain thing I'd written, and he called really early because Jake got up early, and one day Susan just hit the roof, grabbed the phone, and said, just ripped him a new you-know-what. Yeah. And to Jake's credit, he never called early again. He was, uh, he was very respectful. Jake Milford's a hell of a guy. Well, that's excellent. Just, uh, he was a great man, and it's right that they hold that golf tournament. He was a terrific individual. Absolutely. Tony, a lot of listeners of our show have gone through the heartbreak of 1982, 1994, most of them 2011 because a lot of younger listeners. What do you think yeah. it will mean to this city when they do finally win a Stanley Cup? 
Oh, it's hard to imagine being close twice, you know, like the way they have. And uh, I guess it will depend on when it comes, but I'm sure it'll be euphoric. I mean, this is a sensational hockey city. Sensational. Um, people in the in the East, they don't get the passion for the sport that we have here. Uh, they think our noses are out of joint. They think that the 211 team shouldn't feel badly because of the way the officiating went or the fact that Colin Campbell presumed to assign those officials while his son played on the team that the Canucks <laughs> were playing against. Oh, yeah. I mean, the outrageous conflict of interest. They think, oh, it's a perceived slight from the league. Are you kidding me? These guys are all New York lawyers. They know exactly what an outrage it was. Yeah. It was disgusting on the part of the league. Uh, I could go on and on about that series, the things that happened. We all know what happened because they were all chronicled. Botch and I wrote about it during it. But um, I can tell you, it's, uh, the passion runs deep in this town. I, I get steamed up just talking about what went on in that series because uh, I'm more of a fan now. Yeah. And, uh <laughs> I mean, I, I was I was upset at the time. It was so outrageous. I, no fair-minded person couldn't have got upset in those days. But uh, um, you know, like I, I honestly think that Vancouver was so much the best team in the league in two eleven that uh, literally all kinds of things had to happen for them not to win it, mm-hmm. uh, including uh, you know a string of injuries that would uh, basically mirror a cholera epidemic had to happen before they could possibly lose to a team like the Bruins. But I don't take anything away from Boston Bruins. They just did their best and tried their hardest and pulled every string they could, and they ended up winning. But uh, they were not the best team, and they know they weren't the best team. Yeah, Tony, we want to talk to you a little bit about the current team. And, you know, we, we talk about this management group a lot on this show. We, we say that the regime has made some good moves and they've made some bad moves. What do you think about the leash that Jim Benning and his staff have gotten through all these tough years? Oh, it's been a ridiculously long and easy leash. I don't understand it, to be honest with you. I don't understand why the Aquilinis have been as patient as they have been. Um, it's abundantly clear that a lot of people within the organization don't believe it's being run properly. Yeah. Uh, it's I mean, there have been far more gaffes than good moves. I mean, when you're drafting where the Vancouver Canucks have been drafting, you better come up with some good players. I mean, Pedersen was, yeah, a a surprise good one. Besser, everyone knew, was going to be good. They should have gotten a good player then. Um, I I mean, Quinn Hughes fell to them and fell into their lap, and uh, they took him and were wise to take him. But that, that was basically mistakes on other, on other teams, and Vancouver capitalized full marks, yep. and full marks for those moves. They definitely made good ones. And in the last year, I'll have to say that the pro scouting has improved, and they have made a couple of uh, a better uh, professional moves within the league and that that have helped the team and get them uh, to, within compens- you know, to within striking distance of a playoff spot. Would they have made a playoff spot? I don't know, with Markstrom injured. 
But let's be clear here. I mean, this team is in contention because Jacob Markstrom has stood on his head this year. If he wasn't absolutely exceptional, if he had fashioned one of any of the previous seasons in hockey that Jacob Markstrom has fashioned, any of them, they would not be in contention. So I wouldn't be getting too carried away about this team. Could they get hot and get on a run? Yeah, I do. I think that that's possible, especially with the environment that the league is going to put. And I'll explain that later. Uh, But uh, I know you guys want to wrap this up pretty soon. Oh, no, we're good. I I haven't had a chance to talk about that theory about that. But, I mean, I just think that... um, uh, the, the management hasn't been as good uh, as people think it's been. I think it's been really not very good at all, and yeah. they haven't received much criticism. Uh, although I have to say I give Jim Benning credit. When he does get criticism, he bears it extremely well, and I think that helps him. Yeah. That helps them uh, not uh, rile people, and uh, he's therefore given a longer leash. But we'll see. He may have some success this year and end up uh, with a very long term here as uh, as general manager, but he needs success very quickly. Right Now, I think the Canucks have a good chance this year because think of the environment. I mean, think of what's your game plan going into playing Vancouver Canucks, especially if you're the Minnesota Wild and likely other teams. you got to bump Pedersen. you got to bump Quinn Hughes. you got to dump the puck in his corner, try and get hits on him. He's going to get away from a lot of them. Is huge. But um, for the most part, you've got to try and bump him. Maybe you can hit him hard and knock him off his game, maybe even knock him out of the out of the series. Same with Pedersen. He weighs 175 pounds at the most. You're going to bump him and hit him as hard as you possibly can legally, uh, but you're definitely going to try and wail on him. Yeah. And... That's your strategy going in. It has to be. Mm -hmm. So how are the games played? Normally what brings about uh, aggression is uh, a lot of fans cheering, a lot of fans reacting to hits, whether they're home or away, and they spur hits from the other team, and then the other team reacts, and then the other team reacts to that hit, and away you go. You got yourself a physical game. Well, that's not going to happen in this environment. Yeah. It's going to be like a controlled practice. And they, these guys are going to have to be reminded every shift. Don't forget, guys, our, our game plan is to try and hit Hughes and Pedersen, right? And we've got to hit Hughes and Pedersen. The coach is going to have to say it on every shift because the crowd isn't going to help. No and the, the Minnesota yeah. Wild players are going to forget about it. And then the coach is going to forget about it. And suddenly, no one's trying to hit anybody in this game. They're just trying to play a polite, intense practice. And that's what you're going to be watching. And I think that there being no crowd is going to help the Canucks immensely in protecting their more vulnerable physical players. Yeah, that's a a great point. And, Tony, you and I talked a bunch um, when I sat down with you at White Spot. I remember before we even sat down, we were already talking about Jacob Markstrom and the season that he's had. Uh, with everything that he battled this year, what did you think overall about the season? Well, uh, he's been phenomenal. I mean, uh, just a tremendous season. And, uh, you know, yeah, a lot's going to depend. I mean, he's going to come right out of the starting box. He hasn't played a game in how long? I'd have to check. But 
Hasn't played a game in a long, long while, and bang, suddenly he's in a playoff game? <laughs> That's not going to be easy for him. Is he going to be a red-hot Markstrom or a cold one? And We just don't know. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's going to be a big wild card in the series. I don't think there's any question. It'll be the same for the other goalie, but Markstrom was such a big factor in the Vancouver Canucks because that back end still gives up an awful lot of chances. And so it's going to be a big factor. But he's had a tremendous year. He's, he's really been helped, obviously. I think he and Ian Clark have, have clicked. Mm-hmm. I think he's learned a lot over the years. His career has just developed extremely slowly. But given his size, he should should be able to play into his late 30s, I think. Mm. Tony, final Canucks question. Are the Canucks cursed? <laughs> Very good question. Many times I've thought they have been. <laughs> Many times I do think they still have been. When I see someone like Louis Erickson, I think, how can you perceive anything but, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's uh, very odd. It's it's like Louis just totally forgot how to play. Either that or checked with his banker and retired. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really hard to figure out how a guy like that falls off a cliff so completely. Mm-hmm. However, it's happened before and happens to a lot of free agents. And uh, so I, I just... Uh, I don't think there are such things as curses. I'm sure they're not, in fact. But uh, from the fans' perspective, you certainly wonder. <laughs> you most definitely do. All right, Tony, last one for me, and this will wrap up the interview with. Um, as I was going through the list of, of those who have received your Elmer Ferguson Award, I didn't see a lot of Vancouver in there. Uh, I saw, was it Cam Cole, I think, had a little bit of a stuff with Vancouver Sun. But for you, how yeah, does he's more an Edmonton-Toronto guy. Exactly, you know? yeah, but... To see you there now, how does it feel to be kind of the first Vancouver guy? Well, I think you really uh, hit on an interesting uh, aspect of this uh, that I was going to talk about and uh, haven't had the chance. I mean, you've asked right at the end here. It's great. Um, <laughs> uh, because it's first for Vancouver, and I think it's the first kind of recognition that Vancouver actually has a newspaper market they've, <laughs> that they've actually yeah. existed, uh, you know. I, there must be 18,000 guys on that list from Toronto and quite a few from Montreal. Yeah, it's all Montreal and, and Toronto. from Quebec City, which is a town about one-third the size of Vancouver. And yet, uh, nobody from here, no Taylor, no Loringer, no Whitehead, uh, you know, no Olson. Uh, it, it, it really is a little bit ridiculous. No Sigurdsson, I mean... It's true, Vancouver got in on the NHL a little Johnny-come-lately, and that may have hurt them. But a lot of people wrote really good stuff in the Western League, too. Yeah, You know, you can't, you can't eliminate that. Mm-hmm. We're talking about journalism. We're not talking about what league they played in, you know? So it's the same. The markets are the same. And here is the second biggest market in Canada, which is the most hockey-rabid country in the world. and doesn't have anybody. And I think that's why it's been such a, you know, it's it's gotten a ton of media, way more probably than it should have. Is that it's never happened here before, and it came at a time when there were no other sports going on. So everyone's made a big fuss about it. Normally it's not much more than a, you know, a, a notation somewhere and a nice night for the guy who receives the award, but... Uh, it's it's been a big thing here because of the uh, circumstances and uh, you know hopefully there will be many many more come from the city. 
I hope so, too. So thanks for breaking in the door for us, Tony. <laughs> well, somebody had to kind of fall through the door, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll wrap it up there, Tony. Really appreciate you coming on the show here and, uh, and helping out guys like Dave and myself break into this industry. My pleasure, guys. And a huge thank you to the legendary Tony Gallagher for joining us there. We're going to go to the interview with Harmon Dial now. Again, we did mention off the top of the show the quality isn't great on this interview, but Chris is a wonderful editor, and he was able to clean it up quite a bit. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview with Tony, and now you're going to hear Harmon, and then after that, Chris and I are going to close out the show. All right, guys, very pleased to be joined now by Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Harmon, how you doing, man? Pretty good, guys. How are you? We're doing very well. We're very excited to have you on the show. We just had Tony Gallagher on the same episode, so a little uh, past and the present here. I guess you could say the future because we're going to be here for a while, it looks like. Hopefully. I, I mean, that's always uh, that's always a goal here. It's, uh, it's obviously such a... Uh, an honor and privilege to to be able to work in in media. It's uh, it's an opportunity that such few people have. So uh, obviously, hopefully, I can take advantage of it and uh, uh, and stay in the uh, in the industry for uh, for a while here. Yeah, your coverage has been awesome. We've really enjoyed it. Both two athletic subscribers here. Um, but kind of take us back to to when you found out you were going to be a staff writer there. Um, at the athletic because you were obviously a contributor and then after Bosch passed away you and Thomas Drantz joined together kind of take us back to how that all came to fruition yeah um, I'm just trying, trying to kind of think back I, uh, I remember in April I finished my my first year of university um, and and I was sort of thinking about what's going to happen moving forward and um, I remember I met with uh, James Merrill in Vancouver, who is the uh, managing editor of uh, the Athletic Canada, and so we had uh, we had a good dinner, and, and he mentioned that um, he'd obviously be hiring a couple of uh, full time staffers, and uh, he encouraged me that uh, if I was interested uh, to, to to let him know, and and so I did, and then for the next couple months it was just kind of. Um, uh, everything was kind of up in the air because we didn't know how the athletic was going to proceed exactly. Um, I was still in summer school. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, it was just kind of uh, everything Everything kind of came together around the time of uh, the draft was when, obviously, uh, people from the, the entire staff of the athletic came over uh, to Vancouver for the draft, and, and that's where I met a lot of uh, people there. Um, had a productive meeting with the editorial director, um, and then they offered me a job, and, and 
and, and of course that was uh, that was definitely a dream come true. I'm super happy for you, man. And you know, we we've been kind of. I guess the first day you and I met was the uh, intro media day, and I yes. gravitated toward yeah. you because you were the only other 20 year old in the room. <laughs> I guess we were both 19 at that time. Holy yeah. hell! Okay. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I gravitated toward you on that day, and yeah, you helped me out. You helped Faber out a lot too, which we really appreciate. But we want to talk about something you wrote, you know, not too long ago, and that's Nikita Triamkin, who is in, in the conversation this morning on Vancouver Radio with J.D. Burke and Rick Dollywell talking about him. I know we had Rick Dollywell on the show last week, and he says that the Canucks are interested, they like what they've seen, you know, favor me and you and a lot of the guys we talk to for um, for their opinions on Triamkin have all kind of said something different. So, I mean... What did you see from Triamkin in that article that you wrote where you were watching a lot of game tape from him? What did you see? Like, is the verdict still out on Triamkin if he can be an NHL defenseman? Yeah, it, to me, one thing you can rule out with uh, with pretty fair certainty is that Triamkin's not going to be a top four NHL defenseman. Could he potentially be a depth option? Uh, perhaps a uh, five, six, seven, eight, maybe. But even even that seems. Uh, yeah, I think at at best, he's a marginal upgrade on Jordy Ben, and and in a worst case scenario, he's not an NHL and not an NHL defenseman because you watch Tramkin play, and of course you have the physical tools that stand out in terms of the size and the skating ability. But the problem is that when you watch him, he just doesn't think the game fast enough uh, in a lot of different scenarios, and and most notably. His positioning is very odd for someone who's supposed to be a uh, shutdown defensive defenseman because he he almost roves around the ice like an offensive defenseman, uh, jumping up in the play offensively, uh, and, and and of course he's not going to produce and take advantage of those opportunities. And then you see instances where he's out of position, uh, where he's chasing the play in the defensive zone. He looks. Uh, many times he looks lost in coverage. So while yes, defensively he can take uh, he can take care of uh, attackers in one on one situations where he can where he can use his reach and and his size to run players out against the boards. Uh, his reads really a lot of time put him in a position where he's not taking away the the right lane and or he's not in the right position and uh to me despite his size he's not a particularly good defender and to me that undermines uh really his potential at the nhl level because you already know he's not going to be uh, a good puck mover uh, and you saw it uh, in the khl uh the fact that his puck skills are kind of lacking and and the biggest thing to me is just he didn't stand out in khl level he's not someone you watched and said hey this guy uh, has a chance to be an impact player in the NHL. This guy was a number two, three defenseman in the KHL. And, and my question that I always think back to is if Trampkin was six foot three instead of six foot seven, would, would people still care? Would he still garner hype? And to me, the answer is no. And, and so, uh, again, I, I think that, look, there's a chance that he could be a, be an NHLer and be competent. But relative to the hype that a lot of fans have have put put in his stock, uh, I think a lot of a lot of people are going to be disappointed because I just don't think he's going to move the needle. He's not someone you can rely on to uh, really drastically change the fortunes of your back end. 
I'm curious what you think about the whole market looking at this harm because you, I think right off the top in that article you wrote about Triampkin, you included you know the points dropping, the the time on ice per game dropping, but it seems like this market just loves Triampkin. Why do you think that is? It, it, it's, it obviously has a lot to do with the size, right, and the fact that he can move up the uh, up and down the ice pretty well. Uh, and again, those are really highly coveted physical tools. They're special. Uh, and again, the, the the problem just is it, it's how he processes the game, his reads, his hockey IQ, uh, his decision making, uh, and that's a lot of the stuff that you have to pay a lot more close, you have to pay closer attention to, to really understand. While his tools are so loud, uh, with regards to again just how how physically imposing he is, uh, and the fact that. He can get up and down the ice, and we saw that in the KHL where there is a larger rink. And, and look, he, Trampkin's close to, or he already is, 26 years old. He's at the stage right now where he doesn't have room to grow, yeah. uh, realistically. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of room to hone his, his tools and, and really refine his skill. Because to me, when he was a 22-year-old, Still with the Canucks, it was a matter of look. This guy is still in his early twenties, uh, and, and he's just becoming accustomed to the NHL. If you give him the proper uh, skills development with regards to working on his uh, puck skills, working on pivoting, uh, understanding reads at the highest level, he could be sort of a, a long term project. The the thing with him was he was very raw when we saw him in uh, in, in one season with Willie Desjardins. Yeah. And the problem is he's missed his prime development years in the KHL where his game is actually, as you mentioned, with regards to his points and his ice time, has slipped. And, of course, he also had uh, the captaincy for a brief period. That was stripped of him. So it's been a tumultuous stretch for him uh, over the last couple of years in the KHL. I remember his first year back, he had, he had prolific point totals. Uh, he was a KHL officer defenseman, played a ton of minutes, and and so that was a sign of maybe, okay, maybe he's taking a step forward. But since then, it uh, it's been lateral at best, and and if, if not that, it's been a step back. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Let's take a step back from the triumphant talk. I think I've had enough of it uh, for this one. I wanted to get into a little bit about. Um, about the returning Canucks roster, because I know you wrote about it. I've heard you talk about it a lot on the radio, and uh, I, I kind of I want to question you about your bottom six a little bit because you've you've kind of been speaking a lot about Brandon Sutter being on the third line and Jake Vertanen being on the fourth line. Why do you kind of like that harm? Uh, it's not that I particularly like it uh, because I don't. Uh, I don't think Brandon Sutter should be in any team's top nine. It's just what I think the team is more inclined to do gotcha. because. To me, Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle are, are players with redundant skill sets. But uh, you look at that Minnesota squad, they can score in the power play. And they were top 10 in the league this past year. For, for whether, you think that, whether, you, whether you think it's right or wrong, I think Travis Green is going to uh, be preferable to wanting to have two of his penalty killers in the lineup. Uh, and for that reason, uh, I think both Beagle and Sutter are likely to draw in for game one. And if that's and if that's the scenario, really, I think if you put Votanen on a line next to Gaudet, that Green just wouldn't trust that line. And look, if they do that, then 
that got that repetitive and whoever was taking the last wing and such an Antoine or Shell, that's going to be the fourth line. Make no mistakes about it. Just the way it's going to be deployed, it's going to be very sheltered, uh, limited minutes. Uh, and for that reason, to me, I see someone like Brandon Sutter. And again, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I think that Charles Green would look at Gaudet. Uh, and of course, he has a lot of offensive pop in his game, but where he has uh, room to so grow is in his two-way game. And, and so you might look at someone like Sutter and say, well, maybe he can help him out in the defensive department. Uh, versus you look at Vertanen, and he's another player who's a, who's a bit of a two-way liability. So for that reason, I think they're going to split that combo uh, up, and, and that's why. And it's going to draw the ire of, of Canucks fans, absolutely. And I can um, I can understand where they'd be coming from, but uh, that's kind of how I see at least one possibility yeah. for, for how a game one lineup uh, could look like in the bottom six. I do like what you kind of brought up there about, you know, I don't like the sound of it, but I mean that, that fourth line feel that you would have with Adam Gaudet and Jake Vertanen on a line together. You know, the matchup that they're going to probably go up against, though, is probably the other team's fourth line. So I feel like that line would have quite the advantage against any other team's fourth line, specifically the Wild. Sure, although... Uh, the one thing to note about Minnesota's bottom six is that it is a it's a strong group. Like the Wild don't have a lot of high end offensive talent uh, aside from Kevin Fiala, but that bottom six can go. It's it's a team that has depth through throughout the lineup. Uh, they can they can they can be a, a pain in the behind when it comes to. Uh, just getting pucks in deep, forechecking, getting it back, uh, and 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 against the team, against the line, which includes Scott and Vertanen, I think Green would be leery of them potentially getting uh, handed into their own zone. So uh, for that reason, I mean, sure, like I, I still like that combo offensively. I think they could produce, but it's it's a question of if they play ten minutes a night, is is that an outcome you're happy with? Uh, and it's obviously up to uh, person. It's a matter of personal opinion. Uh, I just don't. I, I think it's more likely that we see Gaudet and Vertanen apart than we do see them uh, play together. Uh, just because, again, uh, of that uh, of, of that defensive game question. And, and again, it's not necessarily my take on what I think they should do. It's more what I th- what I think the the club. Uh, is uh, what direction they might be leaning towards. Yeah, most definitely. I Okay, well, I want to get your opinion, Alharm, uh, with the top six a little bit, because, you know, a lot of people like to see, would like to see Toffoli kind of team back up with Pearson and Horvat and play more of a two-way game. Uh, Brock Besser, though, he improved a lot defensively this year. I know a lot of people would like to see that lotto line come back together. But then again, you look at some of the work that Toffoli did early on with Pedersen and Miller, and I mean, you can't argue with that success. So where are you sitting at with the top six? What would you like to see, Harm? Yeah, so from my perspective of the top six is obviously Toffoli clicked right away. Uh, the problem is we've had a, a multi-month layoff since then. And you talk about Brock Besser, his chemistry for most of the year was equally uh, as dominant uh, when that lotto line was put together. So to me, from a chemistry standpoint, just because we've had such a significant layoff, uh, to me, those are they're, they're pretty equivalent options. Uh, and then the question becomes, what are you going to do on the matchups front? Uh, because if you're using Bo Horvat uh, against the other team's best players, then I think it's better to go with Toffoli on that line just because you're going to have a, a better two-way presence there. Uh, and then leave Besser to sort of 
to sort of run offensively with the Pedersen line against uh, secondary competition. To me, I think I'd like to see Besser in the top line because uh, to me, he's going to be a big, going to be a big part of the series. He's someone who, when he's hot and he's feeling it, he can he can go off for a run of goals. Yeah. But we've also seen when his confidence isn't up to par, and we saw this at the start of the start of the 2018-19 year, where he was coming back from injury and he just wasn't feeling it. He wasn't himself, and he's just not the same player in those instances. And I really think the Canucks need Besser to be at the top of his game. Uh, for them to have an advantage offensively. And so to me, I want to get Besser going. I want him on the top line because he's had the most success there. Versus to fully, I have confidence that he can thrive, whether it's on the first line or the, or the second line. Uh, he's been fairly healthy throughout the year. Uh, he's obviously got some chemistry with Pearson as well. I start with Besser on the first line and to fully on the second. But in having said that, it's one of those instances where both are uh, both are equally good options in in that uh, top six capacity. I think they're relatively interchangeable. So while I defer to Besser uh, to start in a game one situation, I uh, I'd be quick to swap them if, if you didn't see the chemistry click right away. Because in a five game series, uh, you especially when there's when you've had uh, two or three months off, there is no there is no real chemistry. You've got to be quick to make uh, make decisions and adapt. Uh, so that's kind of my. Uh, my my perspective uh, of the top six situation. Most definitely, I tend to agree with you in that situation. I, you know that it's hard to argue with what the chemistry that they had on that line. Obviously, seeing Besser and Pedersen play together seemed like uh, the chemistry is on and off the ice with those guys. But I guess with that second line and Bo Horvat, like how much of a drop off do you think it is from Brock Besser's game, or sorry, from Toffoli's game down to Brock Besser's game defensively? Is it is it that much of a drop off? Because a lot of people that don't really look into too much analytics would probably say it is. But what do you think, Harm? Yeah, it's make no mistake. Besser's improved a lot relative to his rookie year. That was I remember. Obviously, he's so dominant as a goal scorer, but he was most definitely uh, something of a one dimensional threat, a uh, one dimensional player. And since then, we've seen him round out that game to the point where I wouldn't call him a defensive liability by any stretch. And having said that, it's it's a question of. To me, when I look at a lot of the like data, how well is it able to account for the fact that you play alongside two of the league's top play drivers in Patterson and Miller? And so to me, I see right now Bester's game um, as his two-way profile as a, a net neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can translate that to Foley. Uh, over, over the past some of years, he's been uh, a definitively positive player. Uh, when you go back to the technique he had on the Zambities line when they won their cups, uh, and, and coming over here as well, uh, his two-way profile is sterling. And, of course, you could ask us some questions um, in terms of how much noise is potentially in the data. Uh, and it's so cliche that, oh, he knows what it takes to win. But in a playoff series, a lot of times it is about that extra pocket, being able to get it out. Uh, and, and in that sense, Toffoli, I think, does have the advantage in terms of if you're going to deploy him um, against the position's best player. So it's not necessarily, I think it's, um, like, I wouldn't be wary or 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 worried about be- using Besser in a natural capacity. To me, the biggest thing is I want to put Besser, I, I want him going offensively. I, I, I just think he's such a streaky player that, uh, and even you saw it, Whenever Besser was struggling a little bit and he got bumped to the third line, 
it intuitively made sense. Like, go play with Bob Dad. Uh, yeah. Let him let him feast on softer competition. But in reality, you can tell that it just wasn't good for his game. I want to put him in a position to succeed. Whereas I'm a lot more confident that Toffoli can produce alongside Horvat. And uh, again, it's just it's just because of the fact that Besser's coming off such a layoff. It wasn't the spot where I knew he can potentially click right from day one. Harmus, the question on everybody's mind. How the hell is this team going to improve their blue line next year? Yeah, uh, it's you got uh, forty-five more minutes. <laughs> it's, uh, look, the, the the dilemma here is you've got to be able to not only trim salary, but you've also got to get better. And getting cheaper and more skilled on the back end, every team in the National Hockey League wants to be able to do that. And when you don't have internal talent coming through the pipeline for next year, it becomes a monumental challenge. And of course, we've examined um, Thomas and I have like a few of the, the, the club's options, whether it be on the trade, uh, trade option, the free agency front. Uh, there are a few games on the trade ball up. I like Caleb Jones and left hand defense, but I think he's in Edmonton where uh, he He's sort of marginalized because the the Oilers have Clef Ball and Nurse already already on the roster. Plus, they've got Philip Broberg uh, coming up in the system. Not to mention Chris Russell. So he's someone who, especially if if Edmonton's going to have to close on the expansion cap, you might be inclined to move him, and, and you may be able to get him for a relatively cheap cost. But I think he has top for upside. Uh, and then guys like Eric Chernak, uh, I really love them, but I think they're going to be expensive and they might price themselves out of Vancouver's range. But it really comes down to what are the Canucks able to, like, what are they willing to give up? And this is where you look at potential trade candidates. If the club is able to re-sign the Foley, it may be worth looking into seeing what value Virgin has on the trade market because you look at the type of contract that he's going to command this year. He's going to earn, in, in grants around the, the comparables on this, probably somewhere in, in the two and a half to, to three million range. Probably he's a relatively safe bet to, to garner three million, I think. And if that's the case, you have to ask yourself, A, how much, uh, you know, how efficient is is that going to be to pay for 10, 3 million when you know that his two-way game leaves a lot to be desired? And B, can you just, I, I, I don't know, his position to pay uh, a third-line winger 3 million when you've already got fully and that's a locked up on your right side and you're in a calf crunch, especially if you know that he could potentially help you get back a decent defenseman. Um, and, and so that, that's an option you might have to consider. And and beyond that, I mean, even on the free agency front, I think you can you can sort of look at options on the margins, like Dylan's mellow in uh, in in Winnipeg for part of the year and in Ottawa for most of the year. Uh, in Ottawa, alongside Tom Shabbat, and in Winnipeg, alongside Josh Morrissey, that this guy can this guy can thrive alongside elite talent. Like he can. Uh, he thinks the game so well, and while he's not a flash or dynamic player, uh, he he can sort of just set the background and, and, and sort of thrive in that Chris Canev type role. And so, to me, I really like him as a potential uh, as a potential UFA target. Uh, but again, you're, you're not going to be able to make uh, any trades here to um, acquire a real difference maker. You're not going to be able to drastically overhaul the line. 
um, unless you're willing to give up with significant pieces. And at that point, you're asking, well, should the club really be trading uh, away from a position of strength just to address a weakness in, in the sense of, well, now you're taking away from your strength, uh, which which is your uh, right wing depth. So, uh, there, there, so much of it depends, and, and we can talk about hypothetical in the trade market. It really depends on um, it really depends on what is for Tannen's trade value. What what are the price tags for a lot of these events? Right? Yeah. Um, and if not, the club might be in a position where realistically the best decision might be just take a step back and say, look, we're going to have to play conservatively here, sign DeMello, and yes, that isn't going to be very good, but let's not let's not go out there and sign uh, Tyson Berry or Travis Hamannick. Talking, talking dollars here, you know, term aside, at what point should the Canucks walk away from Chris Tannen? Yeah, really good question. Uh, I think obviously a lot of it depends on what they're able to meet up March through for. And I think the question with Tanev isn't necessarily a specific dollar figure um, in a vacuum. It's about how much, um, relative to the other the other guys in the club, to me, I think, look, between March and into Foley, um, I look at Tanev, to me, his game has dropped off quite a bit in terms of his ability to skate, uh, his ability to move the puck up the ice. Uh, he's, like, like in his prime, this guy was a top-pairing uh, elite shutdown defenseman. He's not that anymore. And, um, and, and to me, Quinn Hughes... And there's this narrative of the, the rookie veteran thing. And sure, it was true to some extent. It's exaggerated, in my opinion. I think Chris Tanev, or sorry, I think Quinn Hughes did way more to benefit Chris Tanev than it was the other way around. Because Hughes single-handedly has a one-man breakout uh, option and, and play his calm defensive game. And and and, and when you count for the fact that he played alongside Hughes, his underlying unlike two-way numbers, were not good at all. And this is coming from a player who used to be an analytics darling. Take into account the fact that this guy hasn't stayed healthy for most of, most of his career. Like, I love Chris Tanev, the, uh, is, uh, the, the, the type of warrior he's been, sacrificing his body. He's been such a crucial player for, for the club over the years. I really can't say enough good things about him, but I think he's at a stage where the risk to sign him I'm worried about signing him. And to me, he's priority number three as a marksman's fully, and for top about priority number three. To be quite honest, I don't even think you're going to have the cap space to sign uh, by Tanner. So to me, yes, he, he means a lot to the dressing room. Um, he obviously could fit alongside Queen Hughes as a, as a, as a placeholder on your top pairing. Uh, but signing him, it's when the team's already up against it cap wise, I'm worried about health and where his game is trending. Awesome stuff, Harm. Appreciate you coming back on the Canucks conversation, and we'll do it again down the road, bud. All right, and a huge thank you to Harmon Dial of The Athletic for joining us, along with Mr. Tony Gallagher, our first Hall of Famer. Am I right there, Chris? I think so. I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty damn sure that's the first uh, Hall of Famer on the Canucks conversation. Oh, man, that that's awesome. It, it was such a good chat, and I'm really glad we were able to have him on. We're going to be toning it down with the guests, but we do have some pretty good guests coming on in the next two episodes as well. Uh, we can't say anything yet because we've learned the hard way that it's a bad idea <laughs> to announce guests before you've actually talked to them. 
So, we are going with the method of actually having our interviews done and then announcing our guests. So, we do have some pretty good ones lined up. Uh, we are, well, I guess we can say we're doing a big Canucks Twitter episode uh, for episode We're kicking it old school, man. Old school Canucks combo episode is going to be a bunch of Canucks people. Combo. Yeah. Vintage Canucks combo. I'm very excited for it. We've got some pretty, I think we have four or five people lined up. So, it's going to be one of those marathon episodes, which you have informed me do numbers. Yeah, but this is only four or five, man. Like, I've done the five-hour episodes, the six-hour episodes, so this this will be easy. This is light work right here. Yeah, and we'll we'll have the studio there. We're we're very excited to be moving into an actual studio that we're kind of building, and we've got our own equipment now. We're buying that Roadcaster, which is going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, yes. That is all thanks to our Patreon subscribers who keep giving us money monthly to be able to afford this stuff. So we're actually able to upgrade our equipment. Thanks to everybody on there. You can go check that out as well. We're ramping up the bonus content one episode a week uh, of us just talking usually. And then uh, there's also going to be once a month, we're going to be doing some video as well because we hang out at least once a month. We'll be doing that more in the coming months here. Uh, But we have a little private YouTube channel that we have just for our Patreon subscribers. And that's a lot of fun. We're going to be doing a video of us building the studio, which I'm sure will be... Yeah, you dropped some absolute fire on this week's Patreon episode. For those who those who know, know, and those who don't should subscribe to the Patreon. But uh, you dropped some absolute fire news this week on the show. We're not going to get into it, obviously. But the Patreon subscribers, they all know. They were in my DMs telling me about how excited they are. How come no one DMs me? Because you tell people not to approach you and no one to message you and no one to talk to you. You don't like people. You always say this. That's true. I hope I don't scare people away. I'm I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I just don't like. Yeah, I guess. Okay, don't DM me. But you you can DM me if you want. I usually reply. <laughs> if you're wow, a Patreon yeah. subscriber, yeah. If not, yeah. you're probably blocked by quads. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, we went through my blocked list on the Patreon episode <laughs> this week, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and then Samantha suggested. I think it was Samantha. She suggested a uh, fifty dollar tier where you get access to my blocked list and see everybody I've actually <laughs> blocked. We do have one person in that tier, actually, right now, so you're going to have to send them uh, your list. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we can't say their <laughs> name, though. But yes, that's uh, yeah, that's that's a big reason we're able to afford all our equipment, which is awesome. So yeah. if you guys want to check the out way, our about, Patreon. Yeah, the equipment. Um, so I just I just got an email like this morning. It's supposed to be in here on Sunday. Um, and as you know, well, as you know, Quads, I think as some people know, I think I said at the start, I'm in Kelowna right now for the weekend, um, but I will be back on Sunday. And then you and I are going to go pick up our new Roadcaster Pro on Monday, I'm thinking, if that works out for you. Um, yeah. Thinking on the fly here. But uh, then we'll have to tweet out the picture of that and just show the people that, you know, this is where the Patreon money is gone. It's been incredible to to be supported by all these people. And we get to buy pretty much the top of the line uh, podcasting equipment for us, I'd have to say. So we're really excited to get into that because, you know, we both use the, the Blue Yeti mics or I do use the Blue Yeti. Use the Snowball or something. I, I used, like, a budget mic off Amazon. Okay, so we have these, and, like, when we uh, mentioned that to the guy who was helping us kind of select what we wanted, he was kind of, like, laughing at how crappy our mics were. Yeah, but I, you know what? This Blue Yeti has done a great job for me uh, in, like, three years of this, so I think it's fine, but the new mics is going to be incredible. We're going to be able to, you know, Bluetooth callers right into the freaking computer which is incredible um and do that kind of stuff instead of me holding up my phone uh on my (laughs) microphone for 37 minute interviews um so i'm excited for that man and yeah we'll tweet that out um possibly monday or sometime early next week about that yeah for sure so if you're not already on our patreon definitely go check that out five and ten dollar tier gets you all the bonus content then we have our new sideline supporter tier for the 169 tier 
Uh, other than that, Chris, is there anything else you want to add other than rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts? No, we uh, we haven't had a rate and review in a while. Um, so if you want, all you got to do, easiest way to do it, head over to Apple Podcasts, um, search Canucks Conversation, click the podcast right there. Give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, maybe we got to start reading. I say this every time and we never end up doing it. Maybe we got to start reading them on air. There was a really nice one that just came in. Actually, I think we might have read that one on there. I think we read it on the Patreon, but yeah, some people are just like overtly nice. Like the people that were saying we're like we have a podcast dynamic. That was like so nice to hear, man. That was weird. Yeah, it was. It was. It was so <laughs> nice. We're, we're very cool to hear that. Never going to be the podcast, but uh, I, I'd say you and I, the way we go back and forth, I'd say we have that kind of like that. You know, it, it helps when you're like friends off air. You know what I mean? So yeah. you compare our first episode right. with how we are. I'm going to read one. Great. I'm going to read one on there. The most okay, recent one. Uh, which So, yeah, we've had one, you know, a month ago. June 2nd came in. Uh, by the way, 84 ratings, 5.0 out of 5 for the reviews. Thank you. Best young podcast in Vancouver. You guys are doing an amazing job. You keep improving, and the presentation is top-notch. It shows that you guys are informed and really make an effort to prepare for your shows. Stay humble and keep up the great work. Stay humble is going to be the hardest part. And thank you, um, Undo, on uh, on Apple Podcasts for that recent review. So, um that was awesome and uh yeah i'm not gonna read a bunch of these but uh it's been a while since we've had it so maybe we'll start reading the reviews on the show i appreciate that um it helps boost us and get us up into the the apple podcast ranks i don't know how those work but uh the reviews help apparently i've been told that guy that guy said stay humble and then we immediately start talking about just patting ourselves on the back and reading our great reviews on air so <laughs> might be uh, might be failing that last review he's gonna leave another review be like these guys did not stay humble uh, two weeks after I left that review they were already not being humble so we will definitely try to stay humble we appreciate it that's all I'm saying we appreciate the reviews and we're the freaking best okay yeah let's wrap this up <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you for listening to episode 87 of the Canucks Conversation. My name is David Cudrelli, and for Chris Faber, thank you once again to Tony Gallagher and Harmon Dial for joining us. You've been listening to the Canucks Conversation. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 